What is up? This is Evan Lovett, and thanks for tuning in to my podcast, In a Minute with Evan Lovett, an Odyssey original brought to you by yours truly, your host, Evan Lovett, where you may know me from my social media page, LA In a Minute. I'd love to invite you along for a personal and intimate ride as I share interesting facts about all sorts of things you didn't know that you needed to know. Be entertained and informed as I bring you into my mind to see the world through my lens. There's history everywhere, as long as you know where to look. Let's get into it. Yo, episode number 36, coming to you from the IM Studios, right here in the heart of Los Angeles. Today, I just want to start out by saying I am very lucky to be here in this studio in this fantastic neighborhood, in this amazing city. Because this week I was somewhere in the city that wasn't so fantastic, and it was somewhere that I never imagined spending an entire day. I spent a day on Skid Row. I was invited by a nonprofit organization, and they offered to take me on a tour of the neighborhood. And I'd always been wanting to do an episode for LA in a minute, and man, this turned into something bigger. This turned into a podcast episode. Walked up and down most of the 54 square blocks of Skid Row, and I observed and learned some very important things about this city and about its residents. Now, look, the homeless situation is a huge concern right now in LA, and Skid Row is literally the epicenter. So, I'm gonna tell you about what I saw, as well as the history and how Skid Row came to be, and where it fits into the widespread issue of homelessness in LA in 2023. Oh, and by the way, did you know that Skid Row had a mayor? I'll get into that too. So yeah, I spent a day at Skid Row. All right, y'all, let's get into it. Okay, so we're starting with something that happened in LA this week. Me going to Skid Row. Huge thank you goes to Daniel and Renee of LA Christian Health Centers because they reached out and they organized this walkthrough. And honestly, um, LA in a Minute started in January 2022, started growing, and this was one of the main areas I was both curious about as I cover various neighborhoods and their histories, but just a place that I knew was really important and I couldn't figure out how to address it and how to package it in one of my LA in a minutes. So this has been not even just at the back of my mind, but the forefront of my mind since I started. Now, I was able to go and, and I'd driven through it previously, making the proverbial wrong turn, especially down San Pedro Street downtown and trying to figure out what the hell happened and how to get out of there. But because of Renee and Daniel, Manelli Christian Health Centers, I was able to spend significant time down there and a lot of thinking went on both during and after so the first main issues that i wanted to kind of sort of set up for the foundation are what is skid row why is it called skid row how big is it i mean honestly when i drove through san pedro i thought it was just like one long block one huge encampment and we've all seen encampments unfortunately in la especially in the last 10 years or so but I didn't know what to really picture because it's a row, right? One street. It's not. And is it a formal area? How did it come to be a formal area? So let's let's look under the hood here. 
So first, it's important to know that in the 2023 greater Los Angeles homeless count, the results were released and there are 9% more homeless people in 2023 than there were in 2022. Brings the total, the counted total to 75,518 people in Los Angeles County, 46,000 of which are in LA city. A third of those unhoused are in Skid Row. So what is Skid Row? Check this out. It's technically a neighborhood. It's called Central City East. And it covers 54 city blocks just east of downtown. The the total area is 0.43 miles, or basically the exact same size of Larchmont, half the size of Pico Union. So it's, it's sizable. This is a neighborhood. It's bigger than Carthay, okay? Now, L.A. contains one of, if not the largest population of homeless people in the United States. And Skid Row has the largest condensed population of homeless people in the United States. The estimate, the population estimate, they can't get an exact count. Population estimate is about 15,000. Okay, this is in this 54 square block area. I'm going to dive into the origins on that. But the origin of why it's called Skid Row. It came from the term Skid Road, which originated in the Pacific Northwest. We're talking Vancouver, Seattle, Portland in the late 1800s from the logging industry. It referred to the path along which timber workers would skid their logs, right? Because you can't carry them. They didn't have this like huge technology to move around. So they skidded them down a row, a road. But when a logger was fired, he was sent down the skid road where he'd have to wait till everybody was done with their shift and go back with them. So you had this image of somebody who was sent down this lonely road only to just sit with nothing to do and wait. And that's the origin of the term. Is So it comes from skid road, Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. But how did find a home in LA? How did that name make its way to this Los Angeles skid road? Well, again, End of the 19th century, early 20th, there was railroad. LA, as you know from in a minute, was the mass transit capital of the world. A lot of railways, a lot of railroads. And there were railroad depots that were east of downtown Los Angeles. Now, with railroad depots and travelers come residential hotels. You know, people come for the seasons. And railroad lines ran directly from the northwest, So the community around these railroad depots just east of downtown Los Angeles started as a transient population of seasonal laborers, some of whom had been laid off and sent down that skid road. So L.A. had the climate for people to reside year round. And, you know, there were jobs, there was industry um, propping up. And with these residential hotels, an easy way to get in and out of L.A., it became an enclave, this area. Small hotels, cheap eateries, saloons, places that would serve seasonal workers and the nearby railroads. Well, by the 1930s, Skid Row was the home to 10,000 homeless people. Almost as many as there is now. This is That kind of blew my mind. We're talking 90 years ago. And the makeup of the people of Skid Row were people on the margins of society, alcoholics, mentally unstable, financially unstable. 
And you go and look at the pictures. Of course, I'm going to post them on the feed. The area was rife with saloons, bars, liquor stores, more residential hotels and motels. And also social services started popping up, which is a good thing. Except the social services also drew people, again, from the margins of society to the populations, to the area that they served those populations that would then congregate in that area so that it grew real quick again and we know it man people are messed up we just talked about mental health and stress in the last episode that's always been a thing maybe it's exacerbated now but it's the truth man that's society and by 1930 skid row had 10,000 don't forget this right after the depression too so people were just poor and didn't have a place to go and it's crazy because i look at these pictures from the 1930 skid row and man, doesn't look that different than it does now, which is crazy. So, listen, by 1947, Skid Row was considered a blight in Los Angeles. It was identified formally. And the LAPD identified Skid Row as the origin for more than half of the crime in Los Angeles. Now, again, studies were different. Science was different. Uh, news media narrative was different. I'm sure there was crime, but half seems a little exaggerated. But the point is, they called it the origin for more than half the crime because what happened next was what was called a blockade raid, where the whole Skid Row area, mass arrests, and it was really an attempt to quote-unquote rehabilitate the area. Now, look, man, I'm... I've tried, I've always been empathetic, okay? I'm an empathetic person. My mom was probably the most caring, kind, empathetic person in the world. I used to have money behind the visor in my car to give to homeless people off the freeway off-ramp. And when I had a kid and became a homeowner, my perspective sort of shift. I saw the, you know, demographic of the homeless people in my neighborhood and I wasn't as sympathetic. And I was on the, side of yo we need to clean this up these encampments under the freeway these encampments by the la river and i can imagine the 1940s you got a skid row area with 10,000 people look similar to what it's now rehabilitating the rehabilitating area probably seemed like a good idea okay and now this is this is leaving the people aside for one sec okay i don't know the solution mental health all that that's a different issue but so the point is the LAPD decided to rehabilitate the area, make it clean and probably ultimately for business. So the city of LA continued that practice through the 1950s. What they would do, they'd clear decaying buildings, providing more social services, meals and beds for inhabitants. And it must be noted that many organizations cropped up as well, doing the same nonprofit volunteer organizations. But the city was doing the heavy lifting, especially with the buildings and the cleaning and the streets and the sidewalks, the police, the resources were heavy. And the cost to the city to rehabilitate Skid Row, this in the 1950s, was $5 million per square mile per year. Compare that to the average upkeep of $100,000 per square mile per year throughout the rest of Los Angeles. So by the 1960s, it was simply less expensive to demolish these residential hotels and motels and housing options rather than to have them repaired and rehabilitated. So what happened then, 
the total number of housing units in the area was cut in half. And thus, the population basically doubled overnight. And there's less affordable housing. The severe homeless problem continued throughout the decade. In the 60s, it ballooned as many as 20,000 people at one point. By 1970s, the demographic changed. Vietnam veterans were drawn to the area due to the services and missions already in place there and the fact that a lot of them felt outcast from society in other areas. And why I bring up the Vietnam veterans specifically is because that added a layer of complexity to Skid Row, a different subset of the population. Veterans, man, that's serious, serious mental health necessity right there. When we had Vincent Vincent Rocco Vargas on, he got into that. And that is just a whole, I mean, once you've seen war, especially during Vietnam, I mean, man, services can be provided, but it's a different layer and it was a different demographic. And that was highly noted because by 1975, City of L.A. actually acknowledged the area as what was called a containment zone. Where it looks on the surface benign. Shelters and services for homeless people would be addressed. But what it really was, was we can't let this get any more out of hand at all costs. Let's just keep these people in this area. Actually, not at all costs. It's just let's keep these people in this area and minimize costs. So... In the 80s, the narrative shifted a little bit. It still was Skid Row, and it still was not talked about. It was L.A.'s secret. This was a containment zone. Let's just keep it there. But the city of L.A. did start a program, again, of acquiring, rehabilitating, and managing the single-room occupancy units, just the ones that remained, which, again, was half of what it used to be. And they did add a couple facilities to parks, shelters, stuff like that. But at this point, it was Union Rescue Mission, Volunteers of America, Midnight Mission, organizations like that providing the bulk of the services for homeless people that were centralized in Skid Row. Now, kind of bring us up to the future, the present and the future. And the county and the city have fast-tracked what's called the Skid Row Action Plan provides hundreds of new interim housing beds, multiple hotels and motels near Skid Row. And I'm going to talk about those. And they provide enriched services for the people with the most complex health and behavioral health needs. Now, the details from the city, I'm not sure, but I will get into some organizational things. But the reality is still Skid Row is still Skid Row. And the, the neighborhood, it is a community more than 10,000 residents, man, 10 to 15,000. It's a vital point in understanding Los Angeles. And as the city's developed, so is Skid Row. And I'm getting to my experience. I'm going to tell you what I saw with my own eyes. But this is how vital Skid Row has become. And this, is, this brings us to the present and future. There's a mayor of Skid Row. Well, at least there was. Talking about General Jeff Page. He arrived at Skid Row in 2006 and he passed away in 2021 at the untimely age of 56. And the title is honorary. There wasn't an elected mayor, although there was an election and I'll get to that. But he was literally the mayor of Skid Row. He had a map of the area painted into a mural. 
he had a different mural where it's Skid Row City Limits, population too many. And this is gorgeous art. You know, you like those Kobe murals. You like the the, the graffiti work, the art in LA. This, this one's pretty cool. I should put a picture of it on my story. Page brought a world-class basketball court. He didn't, but he convinced Nike to build it for a three-on-three basketball league that he founded right there in Skid Row. He had the city install lights at Gladys Park. He had the city do outdoor movies on hot summer nights. So he was really working to change the narrative on Skid Row from Skid Row. This wasn't an outsider. This was a resident. And he championed the area. It was made up of renters, recovery workers, and yes, homeless people. But he thought they deserved their own political voice. He fought to get separate neighborhood recognition and a neighborhood council for the district. Now, unfortunately, that vote fell short at the last minute, but he really pushed and he was known as the mayor. And going around Skid Row, again, I'm going to tell you about my experience. He's known and his presence is felt and he's on a lot of these walls, a lot of these uh, murals. I mean, it's honestly like the Kobe of Skid Row. And I'm not saying that lightly. I mean that with all due respect. So who was Jeff Page? How did he get to this point? He was a native of South LA and he played basketball at Crenshaw. And his court leadership when he was at Crenshaw earned him the nickname General. So he's known as General Jeff Page. And the name stuck. And he became an integral member of the West Coast hip-hop scene in the 80s. In high school, he joined a street crew. He was posting telephone pole flyers for dances. And he started his hip-hop career as a hype man for Ronnie O and Joe Cooley. But you don't hear me though. And Everlasting Bass, some legendary tracks. But he also produced and mixed music for other performers. And he was an assistant to DJ Quick. Yeah, DJ Quick. Somehow DJ Quick keeps coming up on my podcast. Love that dude. But he worked with some of the biggest names in the burgeoning gangster rap scene. Dr. Dre, Easy E, Ice Cube. But he fell on hard times. And by 2006, August of 2006, arrived on Skid Row with a drum set, determined to bring positivity to the neighborhood mired in misery. Slept in the streets, slept at a shelter, and Finally slept in a single occupancy room at Skid Row. But he was deeply disillusioned with what he saw. He thought it was a failure of the homeless services groups in the city. And he called them poverty pimps. And he said that Skid Row was a result of the homeless industrial complex. And he would advocate and he would write letters and he would talk to leaders. His advocacy helped win permission for the residents of Skid Row hotels to have guests in their rooms. And now this is important. And this is kind of a reason why a lot of the people stay on the streets. Sometimes they're not allowed to have drugs, but other times they're not even allowed to have guests in their rooms. And that's a big right. Just think of that. If you have housing, you can't have a guest. But he pushed that. And that was a major breakthrough. And people were thankful. But he also launched chess clubs, photography clubs, a trash patrol led by residents. He advocated and fought to keep out alcohol-serving outlets, to preserve the area for more positive and wholesome activities. And he describes Skid Row as the largest recovery community in the country. And that's an interesting perspective, a recovery community. Yes, people are down on their luck. Yes, people are using, I'll tell you what I saw. But when you think about it through that prism, it's a different perspective. And that's why the man was 
so cherished and so honored down there. And he was also, he was a Skid Row representative of the downtown LA Neighborhood Council. He was on the city's park board and a mental health advisory board. And whenever the stuff he would push for in these boards would be outvoted, he he was convinced that Skid Row needed its own voice. So he tried to carve a neighborhood council for Skid Row. Again, it didn't happen because of an 11th hour vote, but man, that was a big effort to give Skid Row a voice, the largest recovery community. And here's something crazy. You guys remember Proposition HHH? It's when we voted, city voted, for $1.2 billion and for a housing bond initiative. And it passed in 2016. And I remember this was when I was first having a child and dealing with homeless encampments in my neighborhood. And I was like, yeah, give them money. Let's give them housing. And guess what? Paige, the mayor of Skid Row, opposed Proposition HHH with now, which now in retrospect, when you see what it accomplished, in my opinion, not that much kind of looked like he had the real foresight because he said it was billed as a solution to homelessness. But he said the only solution to fix homelessness is to turn it back on itself. What that means? Accountability, togetherness, strength. Like I said, his belief was that quote unquote, we are building our own community. And that is how we are going to solve our problems from within. So, man, this is why Jeff Page was the mayor of Skid Row. And unfortunately, he passed away in that honorary but important position, as far as I know, is vacant two years later. And that's the history into the present. But as far as what I saw, how I felt, what went on when I was down there, he's, here, here's how it went down. Okay. Man, Daniel from LA Christian Health Centers, great freaking dude. He reached out to ask if I want to tour Skid Row. And again, like I said, it had been percolating. And that included the brand new LA Christian Health Center facility on Wall and 7th. And I, di I didn't know what to expect. Did he want coverage of the facility? Like, how am I going to put that in without sounding pandering? Well, man, I had a few calls, a few calls with his team. And we decided to set it up, man. This guy's genuine and he's passionate about what he does and the people in the community. And I was genuinely curious. So let's do it. We go last week. And it was a beautiful day. It was one of those, one of those bright blue sky, soft, gorgeous light in LA. Just a day where you're like, I love Los Angeles. And I'm, I'm driving through downtown getting into the more questionable areas, rolling into Skid Row and just seeing that juxtaposition, how beautiful it was and then what Skid Row really is. And I pulled into a parking lot and it was full. And then I pulled into a second parking lot and I was like, well, all these cars. And again, this is my first thing. I'm like, who's in Skid Row? Like parking their car. But pulling into the parking space in the second lot, I noticed three consecutive cars with their driver's side window smashed in. I'm like, oh yeah, this is skid row so i called daniel and he advised i park under the building and they're protected in closed space so thank you i met him and renee who's the communications director and she's intense fun sweet great person i mean to do what they do you have to have a heart of gold and both daniel and renee were fit that bill absolutely so we met in the clinic and they said, you know what? Let's tour Skid Row first and let's close with the clinic tour. And I was like, okay, okay. They advised that I wear a mask. Not 
for COVID, but for the smells I was about to encounter. So put on my mask and we get to it. We hop by foot. And immediately it was, it was what I expected. Tents, encampments, fairly dense population on the streets. And this is daytime. It's about 11 a.m. So I didn't feel threatened, but it's not exactly the place I would take my wife and son to walk around, just being honest. But people were milling about. This was a community. People are talking, laughing, sitting around, socializing, music on their cell phones. I'll get into that. And yeah, look, I saw drug use right off the bat. Ton of marijuana, kind of a permanent weed smell and other things being smoked that I couldn't quite recognize. All out in the open. And the area is policed, but I'm told not actively or particularly aggressively and mostly only in the cases of violent crime. So it's somewhat polices itself. And the crimes are reported by, well, those cell phones and the cell phones are charged at charging stations, which kind of surprised me that there's charging stations there, but they also have residences with outlets and did see some makeshift plugs, electrical cords, outlets on sidewalks. And there was a government program a while back to give people cell phones. But it's important to know that the residents are given these cell phones via volunteer programs, not just for the regular use, but to book and keep appointments and things of that nature. I didn't even consider that. I mean, like, oh, why would a homeless person need an appointment? No, they are getting services. These are people with lives and schedules. And I honestly didn't even consider that. Okay. And then thing that shocked me, maybe it was my naivete was that there are businesses in the area, businesses in Skid Row. I'm talking balloon shops, warehouses, restaurant called Martha's kitchen, a Cuban sandwich shop, people's market, laundry, pharmacy right there in this 54 block area. So that caught me a little off guard. Again, people going into their businesses and I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, well, if Skid Row is so dangerous. Somebody's opened the doors and operating this business during the day and leaving and doing that every day. So this is a community. This is a neighborhood. And that honestly was something I was not expecting. Here's another thing I wasn't expecting. Skid Row has main thoroughfares that people use. Duh, it's it's streets. This is streets in downtown Los Angeles. But for some reason, I'm like, oh yeah, man, nobody goes to Skid Row. Nobody goes through Skid Row. But there was freaking traffic. There were there were the street light cycles where people are waiting two, three cycles to get a green light. There were a lot of cars. But again, that caught me off guard. But yes, this is a community. This is a neighborhood. People drive through it and go just like anywhere else. So I'm taking this all in and trying to wrap my head around it. I mean, can you, can you wrap your head around something like this? And walking up and down these streets, we went down 7th past San Pedro de Alameda, cut over to 4th, and we walked up every block, me, Daniel, Renee, Stanford, Town, Crocker, all these streets. And we saw so many organizations doing handouts saw free pizza, I saw religious groups, I saw needle exchange. I saw facilities with showers being used. And I, I again, I didn't realize that these resources are offered, but they are being utilized. And people are shouting, coming out with towels and fresh clothes. And there's public restrooms being used in an orderly fashion and people cleaning them up. And again, there are parks there one of which was formerly called Gladys Park. 
now known as Mayor Jeff Park, or should I say Mayor General Jeff Park? And it is. And here's the thing. It looked like a normal park. They are normal parks. And to me, I was like, this is, I didn't know. I didn't know it was a neighborhood and I didn't know it was a community. And yeah, look, man, look, they're obviously still Skid Row. I saw people walking around nude. I saw people defecating. I saw some serious drug use, needles, etc. Definitely some mental illness. And again, the truth is, did I feel threatened? Not continuously, not a lot. But yes, there were a few times where I got, I carry pepper spray. I do. And I have my hand in my pocket ready to go. I know it might sound terrible, but man, look. I don't carry a gun. I'm not that guy, but you know, I carry it on a daily basis in LA and that's again, that might say something about me or about the city, but yes, there were a couple times where I felt not directly threatened, but that sort of situation where you're like, yo, this dude is unpredictable. I don't know what's going to happen here. I need to be ready. But otherwise, man, you could walk. People say, hi, people say, how are you? And again, Renee and Daniel, so helpful talking to people, just normal conversations. But we did come across a street named San Julian. It's a little street that doesn't run the entirety of Skid Row. But it was the only street we didn't go down and that I was told not to go down. That little area is completely self-regulated. And even during the day is considered off limits. Even for mission folk or people like Daniel and Renee who work hand in hand with the residents. So right around 5th and San Julian, I was told that's the epicenter and it is dangerous and inadvisable. So I did not go boots on the ground there. I'm telling you, if Daniel Renee didn't, I wasn't going to. So there is that little area. But otherwise, I mean, look, I was chaperoned. And we did walk around. I felt sad and helpless, but it was something to see how many people are dedicated to improving the, the lives and situations of the people that are unhoused in LA. And concentrate in this area skid row and then so when we finished up the the tour they brought us back to the joshua house clinic that's where the la christian health center's main building is and it's a gleaming 25 million dollar facility right there on seventh and wall and again daniel was excited to give me the tour i couldn't fathom why other than the the pride that he had but i'm like let's go let's see this thing and man i was amazed Honestly, medical, dental, optometry, mental health, social services, all for Skid Row residents. And this isn't like some some clinic. This is straight up state of the art. I will post pictures. But I'm talking about 18 medical exam rooms, consultation rooms, dental chairs, mental health rooms, group therapy, social work coordination offices. I said in the optometrist. That shit looked exactly like my optometrist. It was clean. It was nice. A wall of glasses. I mean, the dental chairs. Is it? I'm telling you right now, this is exactly like your dentist. X-ray machines, clean, nice. Um, doctors, nurses. There was a multi-purpose area, meditation room, a chaplain's office, front desk, administration. And let me tell you, the people inside, the clients and the employees, polite, careful, respectful. I could transport there and you could tell me yo you're in a hospital in a in a medical building in anywhere in LA uh Tarzana uh 
Beverly Hills, Cedars, Kaiser, it felt the same. I was very, very impressed. And it was really nice to see organizations like this helping out. And again, maybe I'm surprised, maybe I'm naive, but seeing the residents utilizing these services and waiting in chairs for their appointment and waiting for the doctor to call, I was like, man, this is something. And look, it doesn't doesn't solve, quote unquote, the homelessness issue. It's not gonna. There's 15,000 residents, but man, these are people and this is a neighborhood and it was a good way to end my day in Skid Row. It opened my eyes, not just to the community, but the community working for the community and organizations that are the lifeblood for these 15,000 residents. So I do want to say big thank you to Daniel, Renee and LACHC for the experience. And man, hopefully being able to share this can open some eyes for a community that what it, it is a big part of Los Angeles. And, you know, I understand it a little bit better. And I hope that you do too. Now, one thing to do in Los Angeles this week, not usually this guy, but donate time, money, whatever you can support a local organization and charity I'm going to list these organizations on my stories where you can help, but I'm going to start with these skid row groups. Okay. I mean, we're staying relevant and I'll tell you, man, even if you drive through and see it with your own eyes, it's something it's impactful. So I'm going to start with LA Christian health centers. I saw their work again. Fantastic people. Great organization. They started in 1990 is HIV AIDS prevention service administered by nurses at Los Angeles mission. In 1993, it moved into the Joshua House, which was literally a quote-unquote crack house on Skid Row. By 2004, they separated from the LA Mission, and they earned federally qualified health center designation, which means more funding and more availability to be a clinic and provide services. So in 2008, that's when they changed the name to the LA Christian Health Center, and they opened additional sites. They have sites on Skid Row and Boyle Heights and Watts. By 2012, they were starting integral medical mental health teams, kind of a street team to help out. But it was 2019 that they expanded and began construction on that facility at 7th and Wall. And one thing I didn't mention, it also has 55 units of permanent housing on top. I did notice that. It's a separate entrance. It wasn't part of the clinic. But that's a great organization. Contact them. All these organizations look for donations. Look, man. Again, I was torn. Are we facilitating homelessness if we donate? But the fact is they're there and you want a healthy city and it starts at the core and the people that are residing there are a neighborhood. This is a community and they do need help, man. And these organizations need help. These are great people that are working for these organizations. So help them out. The next one, Union Rescue Mission. This one I'd heard of. Reason why it was founded in 1891 by a man named Lyman Stewart, who was the president and founder of Union Oil. Interesting. And it was originally known as the Pacific Gospel Union. And it used to take to the streets in gospel wagons, offering food, clothing, and salvation to the quote unquote less fortunate. By 1893, remember I told you about those loggers going down the skid road that ended up in the railroad depots? By 1893, they were already serving 500 people a day. And by 1943, Union Rescue Mission was supplying 40% of the free meals provided by all private charities in Los Angeles. So this was a big organization. It's now 134 years old. 
It's a community stalwart and a special place in Los Angeles. So that's Union Rescue Mission. Next up is the Midnight Mission, which was founded by Tom Littlecoat in 1914. They serve meals after midnight, after church services. So they incorporated as a nonprofit in 1922. And during the Great Depression, they became the primary residence in LA for people who lacked permanent housing. It was designated as California Emergency Relief Station number one by the federal government and labeled the only facility in LA able to deal with the human tragedy caused by the Great Depression. So they continued their services and their affiliation. And after World War II, they began assisting with job placement and job training. And in the 60s, they conducted a survey of the residents on Skid Row and they concluded, and this was, this was breakthrough at the time, they concluded that alcoholism was a major factor to the life situation of people being on Skid Row and they named a recovered alcoholic and a popular Alcoholics Anonymous speaker as their managing director. And that kind of became the focus, which again, I mean, there are a lot of addicts. Some say it starts with alcohol, but alcohol is definitely omnipresent. So in 2005, Midnight Mission was serving three meals a day to 170 residents and 500 guests per day. They consider themselves a bridge to self-sufficiency, and it's the first bullet point in their mission statement. And now they're no longer associated with any religious group, but they're called the Midnight Mission. Last is the Los Angeles Mission. Reverend I.L. Eldridge founded in 1936. It's a nonprofit faith-based organization that serves the immediate long-term needs of countless homeless men and women. Now they have a 156,000 square foot facility on 5th Street. Provides emergency services, long-term spiritual, educational, vocational opportunities. And in 2020 alone, they provided 390,000 meals and 126,000 nights of shelter for disadvantaged men, women, and children. So that's what you do this week. Look at these organizations. They're all great causes and donate what you can. Reach out just to see. And I'll tell you, man, you talk about, oh, I'm not going to go to Skid Row. It's right there. It's 11 miles from the valley. It's in the middle of everything. It's not far from anywhere in LA. And if you're going during the day, you're going to be safe. Volunteer. That's what you do this week. So thank you for listening to episode 36 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. This is a journey throughout our fantastic city. And, you know, sometimes you need to see the whole picture. And for me, this is a chance to learn and experience the factors that help build and make up Los Angeles. So I appreciate you being along for the ride. If you enjoy it, please take five seconds to give me that five-star rating. And if you love it, leave a review. It is important for me and it's helpful for exposure for the podcast so we can continue to grow. And don't forget to share the podcast with a friend or family member that loves L.A. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.